0: The outperformance that you can get from newer and smaller funds today is relative to more larger established firms can be more more significant than it's been in the past. So excited about that. And then, you know, you mentioned maybe some things that not so excited about you. You mentioned uh, sole GPs. You know, that, that's something that has been a debate at Fairview for, for several years.
1: You are listening to The Shot Entrepreneur. podcast for founders with ambitious ideas. Venture capital investors and other early believers tell you relatable, insightful, and authentic stories to help you realize your vision. Welcome to the sure Shot Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Gopi Rangan. I'm here with Akar Vachani. Akar Vachani is a managing partner at Fairview Capital Partners. Fairview is a a very popular limited partner in many funds, and they also do direct investments in startups. Fairview was started in 1994, and it has become one of the active and largest minority-owned investment firms. Limited partners play an important role in the venture capital ecosystem. We're going to learn from Akar what is his role. How is Fairview different from other limited partners? What kind of things does he focuses on? What types of venture capital funds gets his attention? Why does he invest in venture funds? Why is it exciting for him? And when does he say no? And how often does he say no? And what the reasons for saying no as well? We're going to talk to him and learn about his world. Akar, welcome to the sure shot Entrepreneur. Great to be on. Let's start with you. Where did you grow up? You grew up on the East Coast in Connecticut and you moved to Silicon Valley 2016 around that time. Tell us about that journey.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was... Several years in the making, we can maybe talk about my career at some point, but it it was a really important point in the history of the evolution of the emerging manager ecosystem in particular, which prompted the move. Fairview is based on the East Coast. I grew up there, but we're beginning to realize that the rate of new firm formation was increasing tremendously, that we would be advantaged with the presence on the West Coast, even though we had a ton of great relationships, a ton of great brands, we're seeing a lot of great deal flow the way in which firms were being formed, the way in which you were intersecting with these next generation of venture capitalists was beginning to change. So we felt like it was important for us to have a presence out there. Personally, for my career, you know, I was really excited about being in the thick of Silicon Valley and in the heart of the venture ecosystem. And so yeah, it's been eight years since uh, I've been out here on, on the West Coast in the Bay Area.
1: But you've been at Fairview for almost 16 years, a decade and a half plus. What got you to the limited partner world, the allocator world? Why is that exciting for you?
0: Yeah, the vast majority of my career at this point has been at Fairview. But if I take a look back, it definitely was a non-obvious and maybe improbable career path for me. Maybe going back, like even before starting a formal career, when I was a kid, I was really around retail settings a lot. You know, my parents were immigrants. They co-owned a convenience store, very much living up to stereotypes of Indian Americans, one of them. (laughs) But you know, it was a good experience. I probably worked there every summer starting when I was like six or seven. And I use work loosely. I mean, I was around helping out here and there. But I was stuck in that store. It was kind of a rough neighborhood. And I, it was in I, Connecticut. This was in Connecticut. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I couldn't wander around much outside there. But You know, I was in that store and I was helping out and I learned a lot of the basics of business and customer service. I remember hating it at the time and I was even embarrassed to talk about it. When you go back to school, everyone would talk about what do you do over the summer? And I, I would never want to mention what I really did. Looking back, it was a really valuable experience. And then also like later in high school, ended up working at some other stores and a credit union for a year. But these are all really customer service type experiences, which I think set a really great foundation for me. And I think it's an important skill set for anyone if you want to be successful, especially in something that's entrepreneurial. But, you know, at that time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't have the grades or aptitude at the time to go to like an Ivy League school or be a doctor or whatever my parents would have dreamed of. But just given my experience, the exposure I had at the time. I like this idea of business, not really knowing a whole lot about it, but I ended up going to a business school for undergrad in Boston. And during college, I ended up interning and then working at a early B2B fintech SaaS company that was doing customer identity verification for banks. And there I learned a lot. It really got me into tech. It got me into software. It was a six-person team really working close together and it was fun you know kind of a lot of the elements of the startup experience that i got to have at an early age there and that company was ultimately sold right around the time i was going to graduate so i had to find a real job as my parents said and so that's what really got me interested in venture capital you know was marrying that experience in tech and investing which i was learning about at school But venture was interesting, but I didn't have the background to really get a role, right? Like no venture firm would hire me. I I tried with a few in Boston, but then I came across what seemed like the next best thing to me, which was a role with Cambridge Associates, working with venture and private equity data and consulting teams. And I figured that would be a great place to learn, but it wasn't a slam dunk. I applied three times. I was rejected twice, but ultimately got a role the third time with them in the Boston office. And I'm so fortunate you know, for that experience because it really set the foundation for me in, in this role at Fairview. I learned an incredible amount there, worked with some incredible people, got some incredible exposure you know, early in my career to managers and learning about how the industry works at the highest levels, top-down asset allocation, manager selection, et cetera. For people who don't know, Cambridge is probably one of, if not the top consulting firm for institutions that invest in and allocate capital to venture capital and private equity in particular. So so great experience, but from there I I learned that I wanted to have more ownership and I wanted to be on the investment side making investment decisions and fund investing happened to align with my experience at the time, you know, which made Fairview a great fit and I ended up joining the firm in 2008 off of an online job posting. I, like I had no advantage or connection to the firm other than having been from Connecticut, which is where Fairview's headquartered. But you know, interviewed, hit it off, fell in love with the team and the work, and spent several years at the firm as an analyst, went to grad school in 2012. I also interned at a venture firm in Chicago during grad school. But I, I think after all that experience, you know, that was a possible inflection point for my career into maybe doing something different. But I had learned kind of through my experience to that point and through business school, that in this industry, and maybe this applies universally to some extent, but certainly in venture capital and private equity, for sure, you really have to trust the people you work with and love the culture of the firm and the style of investing. And if you don't have those things, you're not going to be able to live up to your potential. Fairview had all of that for me, and I knew it. And so there was no reason to try something different. So I ended up rejoining the team and moved out to California in 2016, managing partner today. That's kind of the journey to get to getting to Fairview. But I will say, like looking back, it was really important to have a broad range of experiences before I committed myself to this work, which incidentally also just marries a lot of the experiences I had along the way. Things like entrepreneurship, technology, research, venture, you know, understanding the venture business, sales, marketing, investment management, all that stuff.
1: Now, while you were helping out your folks at the convenience store, you couldn't have predicted that you would be at a a top fast-growing investment firm and you'd be living in the Silicon Valley.
0: Absolutely not,
1: yeah. (laughs) Can you give a quick description of what is Fairview and how is Fairview different from other firms? So Fairview is a fund of
0: funds, meaning we primarily invest in other funds. We also do direct deals alongside the funds we invest in. And we have two main investment strategies. One is investing with top tier, well-established, tenured, often recognizable brand name type venture capital firms. And then the other is investing with emerging and diverse managers. These are typically newer and smaller firms. And these are when you look at the bigger picture of the private markets, these are kind of niche areas. And so I think to understand what we do a little better, it's probably important to understand some of the dynamics of the private markets and in venture capital in particular. Right. It's a very unique asset class because unlike the public markets, you can really exploit inefficiencies. You can take advantage of information arbitrage. You can leverage your network. You can access early stage opportunities and top entrepreneurs that for most of the population and most investment firms are inaccessible. And also, this is a category of investing where as an investor or as a limited partner, you can actually influence your investments in a pretty meaningful way. And so as a result, the upside potential is incredible. Most of the investments are in high growth technology companies, of course, and venture historically has been the top performing asset class over several decades. However, it also has some of the highest dispersion of returns, which essentially means that it's risky and it means that you need to be in the right deals and be invested in the right funds to realize that return potential. Otherwise, it's not an asset class worth investing. You don't want to be in an average venture capital fund. And not only are the individual deals risky, as everyone probably understands, but even investing in venture funds has a very wide potential range of outcomes. And so you need to invest broadly, but not too broadly, and increase your chances of having exposure to the generational companies that will become performance drivers. So That's kind of the background and a fund of funds is important because we solve some of the major issues that investors face, including sourcing and being able to see these opportunities, access, like a lot of times relationships, networks, reputation, and brand really matter for some of these things. If you want to be able to access the best funds, diligence is also very hard. So you need to have the right networks. You need to have a prepared mind on investment themes. And then diversification is of course really important. We build portfolios that span several years that will include typically like 15 fund investments, give or take. We also saw an issue of check size. So a lot of large institutions are too big to write the right size checks that you need to participate in smaller venture funds. And conversely, some investors are too small to be able to build a diversified enough portfolio. And then a fund of funds model also tends to be cost efficient in a lot of ways, because to do the type of work that we do, you'd have to hire a really large team and even then, you probably can't replicate the experience and the access. And then ultimately, you know, this is a, a part of the market where the difference in returns can be really significant. And so it, it's really kind of worth the specialization that we've developed at, at Fairview.
1: I want to talk about the funds you invest in, but let's start with your limited partners. Who are your limited partners? What kind of LPs invest in Fairview?
0: Yeah, we typically serve larger institutional investors primarily. So think public pension plans, both like state-level pension plans, cities, municipalities across the whole country. We also serve institutions like foundations and endowments. Uh, We work with a lot of corporations and some of our LPs are public. So folks like New York Life, Ford Foundation, public pension plans would be like state of Connecticut or cities like city of Dallas or Chicago or a bunch of smaller municipalities across the country. And, you know, more recently, we've been working with some larger family offices, like one that's public is Steve Ballmer and the Balmer Group. So it's a really diversified mix of LPs.
1: But thanks for sharing. You know, in the limited partner world, it's hard to even find the limited partners, who they are. And most limited partners are very quiet. Nobody gets to see how the limited partners operate. So thanks for sharing how your firm works. But now let's talk about the funds you invest in. Yeah, you mentioned two types of funds that you invest in one is established brand name funds. And the second group is the emerging managers. Let's talk about the emerging managers more because that's I think is more interesting, because it's an it's a more complicated world Mm -hmm. in the venture capital ecosystem. What kind of funds get your attention? How many funds do you have relationships with? And how often do you add new funds?
0: Yeah, we've been investing in emerging managers since the founding of the firm, 30 years, which is as far as we know longer than any other organization out there. Let's maybe define emerging managers for us. It may vary a little bit, but generally it's it's new firms, typically first, second or third time funds, and it's generally smaller funds, usually, you know, funds adventure less than 250 million in size. And the reason that this part of the market is compelling is that these characteristics are really conducive to outsized returns. Newer firms typically the better alignment of interest. You have maybe more novel ideas, you have more nimble teams, and and then the smaller fund sizes generally, you know, if you have an outsized outcome can result in an outsized return at the fund level. However, it's a challenging part of the market to invest in because one, there's been a, a ton of new firm formation adventure over the last kind of decade plus in particular which means it's very hard to source and sort through all the opportunities and figure out who the best managers are going to be. And again, as I talked about earlier, selecting the right managers are, are really important. So for us, we take an approach where we want to start with a blank slate. You know, We don't really want to prejudge managers. We're not too dogmatic. We generally don't follow other LPs. We don't chase managers that, that may be hot. We take meetings. We have an open door policy And we kind of have this mindset where we don't think you can bias yourself into thinking that only a certain type of person or a certain type of strategy is going to work. You absolutely need a prepared mind, but you also need an open mind in this part of the market because there's always new strategies, new people that may be the next great fund. And and you don't want to miss out on those. So we cast a wide net, certainly wider than I think most other firms in the industry. And it's kind of a lot of firms may invest just based on the network or think that they have knowledge of the best opportunities. But we think it's foolish to maybe miss something because you think that you already know who the best people are. So we have this reputation as a result of being a place where general partners can feel free to be themselves. You know, I would say a lot of managers come to us early knowing that they're going to get a fair chance. They're not going to be mistreated. They'll get respect. And for us that's really gold because it gives us an opportunity not only to be real with people, but we also just get a real read on their motivations, their capabilities, like the real risk, the real opportunities. And, and that's something that you can't just say you wanna be like that. Like you have to have that reputation, you have to earn that right over time. So that kind of foundation really helps us avoid bias. And we then just try to find the folks that we think are best positioned to generate the best returns. You know, Who's intersecting with the best entrepreneurs? Who's seeing ideas that other people aren't seeing? And who's really a firm builder not just an investor, because when you're talking about emerging managers, not only do you have to invest in people that are great investors, but they also have to be great firm builders. They have to be able to coalesce a team around them, build a community around the firm, and build an institution, which is not an easy task. So, those are some of the things we look for. And in terms of how we deploy, we typically, in a given portfolio, probably have 15 or so managers across three years. But at any given time, we're usually investing out of several pools of capital. We invest through a traditional multi-investor fund of funds. But we also invest actually the bulk of our capital through single LP funds of funds where we have discretion, but we've kind of customized the strategy for a large institution.
1: I see that uh, Fairview has always had an open mind. Um, You applied for a job out of an online posting and Mm -hmm. here you are 16 years later and you have one of the top jobs at the firm. I can see the culture of being open-minded thrives at the firm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It, it really does. And I think we've been around 30 years, right? And I will say like a lot has changed over that time. Um, and even the 15, 16 years I've been at Fairview, a lot of things have changed, but the key has been finding a balance. And maybe this is important really for any company in any industry, but finding a balance about taking the things that make a company special, you know, and preserving that. But then there are always going to be other things that you constantly need to innovate on to stay relevant. And for us, If we couldn't constantly innovate, we wouldn't be able to survive. You know, the fund of funds industry is really hard. There's a lot of intense pressure to outperform because of this extra layer of, of fees. And if you don't do that, you won't last. So certainly a lot of things at Fairview work. You know, we couldn't have gotten lucky for 30 years, but some of that is rooted in the mindset and the culture of the firm. We always have this mindset of wanting to always improve and constantly innovate. And for a lot of things we do, like every day is day zero, you know, we always question if we could do things better. We're not wed to any process or any product or any model. And so if there's something we can do better, we have this culture where we encourage our team to explore and be comfortable sharing those ideas. So even the leadership of the firm always has had an open mind. And that certainly spills over into the investment side of things. Nobody is guaranteed a re-up at Fairview. We just try to look at everybody, again, with a fresh lens.
1: Really? Like, no one's guaranteed a re-up? I mean, GPs would expect to start a relationship and keep the relationship for at least three funds before you begin to review whether to pull out.
0: Yeah. Well, our bias is to continue to support the managers we back, but they have to demonstrate that they're on the right track. Like, team cohesion, the strategy should indicate that it's working some of the basics like that. But yes, when when we do commit to like a first-time fund or second-time fund, typically we are signing up for a couple funds. That's generally our MO. We're also pretty loyal, but nothing's guaranteed.
1: So what has changed over the past 30 years? What are the top two or three things that are very different today compared to when you started?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the especially on the emerging manager side, you know, the market really has exploded. The number of managers in the market has changed dramatically. When I started, it was easy to know every new manager in the market every year, and we could see everybody. And that made our jobs a lot easier in some respects. The cost to start a company having come down over the last couple of decades, you saw the emergence of seed stage investing and the proliferation of seed funds it lowered the barrier of entry to venture and you just saw a ton of new firm formation there's a lot of talent that has come into the industry there's a lot of interest among young people in venture and in tech and so we've just seen an explosion of emerging managers and that really changed the dynamics of how we have to operate so We've really stepped up what we do on the sourcing front. We certainly get probably some of the highest level of inbound deal flow for some of the reasons I mentioned, but we've had to become really proactive. So we've become a lot more thesis driven. And one of the things we found is that a lot of new firm formation happens in clusters around new ecosystems or new investment themes. And that's been a really rich source of uncovering new managers and intersecting with them.
1: Can you give an example?
0: At the highest level, take Seed Investing as one, right? I mean, Seed, believe it or not, at one point was a new category in venture. And so we had to develop a thesis in that area, understand where these managers were coming from and find ways to intersect with them. If you think about ecosystems geographically, we spent a lot of time early in my career looking at New York City post the Great Recession. That market became clear that it was going to start accelerating Similarly, we've done work in like LA and Seattle and other ecosystems around the country. Over the last six or seven years, we've spent a lot of time on AI, which has become really hot today, but, you know, understanding that landscape and today we're just seeing a, obviously a proliferation of AI focused funds or firms pivoting into AI. And so having done that work is really positioned as well to understand who the investors are in that space and just having a lot of background on that category has been helpful. So those are some examples.
1: What is difficult about picking managers? Why is it challenging to find the right kind of emerging manager to add to your portfolio?
0: Ultimately, we are tasked with making a set of really consequential, long-term decisions every year that you can't reverse, right? I mean, we may, in a given portfolio, like I said, 15, roughly, say, partnership investments, that's like five decisions a year. But they're really big decisions. And these funds have 10-year lives and really... They send for a couple years. In our experience, these funds can last 20 years. So you're really making long-term decisions. And ultimately, you're investing in people and ideas. These are blind pools. You don't know what the investments are going to be. So not only do you have to deeply understand the investment strategies, you really have to, especially for emerging manager investing, trust the people that you back to make good investments on your behalf. And you have to be able to have deep relationships, a really deep understanding of people's real talents, their motivations, their commitments to this work and building the firm, their networks, their reputations. And again, that's on top of being able to assess investment acumen, the soundness or viability. Of their How strategy. do you do all
1: that? It, a lot of this sounds very subjective and qualitative. What questions do you ask emerging managers? How long does it take for you to get to know the manager before you say, Yes, I want to invest in this fund?
0: I think it's a combination of things to triangulate to some of the things I've been talking about. There are lines of questions you can ask, but I think more importantly, it's spending the time to get to know people. Up front, our introductory meetings are generally just half an hour, and that's certainly not enough time to get to know anybody. That initial screen will give us a sense of whether or not the strategy is a fit and if these are people that we think have the capability to execute on that strategy. But from there, if we have some conviction, we really have to spend more time with the managers. There's really no other way around it. And we'll do that in obviously more diligence meetings, but we like to spend time with GPs in different settings, whether it's on the road, conferences, informally, just to get to know them. And the other really important thing we do is we leverage our network. So the advantage that we have of having been doing this work for 30 years is that we kind of know everybody or there's one, maybe two degrees of separation max from you know anybody that's starting a fund. And that is great because we can quickly find somebody in our network that has invested with a GP that we're looking at or it has a relationship with them. And these are people that we trust, right, that we also have long-term relationships with that are going to be honest with us. And that can accelerate our understanding of people's motivations and commitment and things like that. But we've gotten good. You know, we think we've gotten good at that, piecing all those things together. It's kind of like putting together a puzzle.
1: These decisions are not made in one or two meetings. You spend a lot of time. You get to know the VCs. You do a lot of due diligence. You do reference checks and you watch their portfolio evolve you get a feel for how they're building their strategy, it takes time. Should it take that much time? It takes months, sometimes even years. And in the end, you're writing a five or $10 million check into the fund. And I know I'm kind of challenging you here. Yeah. Should it take a year to make these decisions while in the business world, $5-10 you know, transactions happen so often, so easily? Yeah, it's
0: funny. I think people think that venture is a fast-moving asset class because of the companies that venture firms invest in, right? These are fast-moving startups that are growing quickly. But venture capital paradoxically is just like one of the longest-term asset classes there is, right? Like I said, these funds last 10 years, it really probably takes 20 years to fully realize a fund. And by the way, as a fund of funds here, you know, we're deploying capital over 3 years and so a fund of funds has an even longer lifetime. So that's been you one- be very patient. You have to be very patient. And so we kind of apply that same mindset to investing and even committing to a fund. It's a blind pool investment. Our GPs are typically investing capital over two, three and a half years. And we don't know what the market's going to be like in two years from now or three years from now. And so, you know, we're trusting these people's judgment and their ability to adapt and change. It's really worth taking the time. And we know that there's going to be great opportunities two, three years from now. So there's no rush in missing an immediate opportunity. And especially when you think about what venture fundamentally investing in, it's these long-term secular trends around technology. And that may go through hype cycles like AI is today, but these are all, all long-term trends. You can generally see them coming. Like I said, for AI, for example, we've written two white papers on AI starting like seven years ago and started forming a thesis on how to invest as an LP in the category a long time ago. So we're not in any rush to jump on the next hot fund.
1: Over the past 30 years, a lot of things have changed, and you highlighted a few trends. You also describe how Fairview is an open-minded organization. You get a lot of inbound interest from VCs. You get to see various different types of VC firms. And over the past few years, there is a strong trend where lots of new firms are formed. The innovation ecosystem is evolving rapidly what kind of trends are you super excited about? You mentioned AI and a few themes like that, but are there also some trends that you are skeptical about? Maybe solo GPs or certain vertical for industry focused funds or certain geographies that have become extra hot and you're not that excited about it. What are you excited about and what are you not excited about?
0: Got it, yeah. I think you have to be an optimist to be in this role. So in general, we are very optimistic about the innovation ecosystem and the technology trends and you know everything that is happening with AI is really going to permeate pretty much every industry the scale at which technology is today is like you know ev- everything is a technology company and can be and every industry is ripe for uh, disruption in some ways so it, it's such a vast opportunity that we're just excited about that broadly but within that certainly you know AI is an area that we're paying a lot of attention to but like I said, we're not in any rush. I mean, this is going to be a very long-term trend that's going to create opportunities probably over several decades. So we're going to patiently deploy capital with some level of focus in the area, I think. I continue to be really bullish about emerging managers, especially now. We have seen more tenured firms get larger for the most part. A lot of these firms have become platforms, and they're not proven at scale. venture, I think, is very difficult to scale. And I think that's created an opportunity for newer firms that are right-sized, that are stage-focused, to really come in and generate outsized returns, especially on a relative basis. And I think that the outperformance that you can get from newer and smaller funds today is relative to more larger established firms can be more significant than it's been in the past. So excited about that. And then, you know, you mentioned maybe some things that not so excited about. You mentioned uh, sole GPs. That's something that has been a debate at Fairview for several years, but ultimately, you know, we've decided that we prefer to invest in teams. And, you know, a lot of the new firm formation in several years has been this trend around sole GPs. And there are certainly a lot of advantages there around being able to move quickly and avoiding issues around partnership dynamics and team cohesion, et cetera. But we've kind of come out with a strong belief around a few things. One is that diversity of thought leads to better outcomes. We certainly embody that at Fairview and how we've Been built the firm and how we make decisions, and we think that's very true of venture firms as well. Especially as the markets become bigger and more complicated, there is advantages to having varied perspectives when it comes to evaluating opportunities. And then the other reason is really that the venture industry is so hard. You know, it's so hard to build a firm, and it's so hard to raise capital. And you know, you're going to make mistakes along the way. No firm has a linear path to growth, and even the firms that today you think of as brand name firms, I promise you they had challenges. And so it's very hard for an individual to shoulder all that burden and go through the ups and downs. And so just having a team really makes a big difference. And particularly a team of people that trust each other and are committed to each other can really make a big difference. And then, then also like scalability is very difficult with the sole GPs. We've decided as a firm generally to avoid sole GPs for that reason. And there's tons of great teams. So we, we feel like there hasn't been a reason yet to make a leap to investing in sole GPs. And, and there's it's still a new trend, so we haven't seen a lot of data that proves definitively that sole GPs can outperform. So I mean, unless we get something like that, I think we're going to stick with our our preference for teams.
1: This is very interesting. You're sharing your thoughts and opinions of what kind of decisions you will make and how you are influenced. And of course, there are some trends that are very exciting. And I see that Fairview has developed a thought around what to do with solo GPs and other topics as well. I'm curious, what's your average day like? What happens? How does your calendar look like?
0: The thing I love about this job is that the days are incredibly diverse. You are evaluating investment opportunities. You're taking introductory meetings. You're taking deeper due diligence meetings. You're meeting with LPs because, again, we have to raise our own capital too, or we may be doing fundraising or updating LPs or fielding LP requests. We may be doing marketing-related things, maybe working on strategy initiatives, research projects, writing our own theses and white papers. Maybe working on reporting or fund administration duties. You know, firm management responsibilities. It's a very, very schedule from day to day. But I do like to carve out time to every day read and be able to think about what's happening. Even though, like I said, it's a very long-term industry. You know, you need to understand what's going on. Day to day and what people are talking about. So I generally carve out an hour or so just to, to read and think about what's going on. And then from there, it's trying to just optimize your day around what's most important it tends to be prioritizing what our LPs need. And then, and then what what's important on the investment front at that given time. But yeah, that's the day. And then there's a lot of travel. You know, we end up traveling a lot for conferences and industry events and annual meetings for the funds that we're in due diligence trips. Etc. cetera. So spend a fair amount of time on the road too. But it's a fun job for people that you know like to be doing a lot of different things.
1: I see you, you spend a lot of time with people both at the firm and outside the firm. It's a very social job indeed. It is. Yeah. What's your advice to VCs, general partners who come to meet you? What can they do to prepare themselves so they can have a productive meeting with you? Besides the usual basic stuff, what are a few tips that you would like to share with them?
0: Yeah, I think especially again for emerging managers, We've recognized that it's a totally entrepreneurial thing, right? And so we're looking for entrepreneurs and firm builders in GPs, not just great investors. That's like a prerequisite. There's a lot of smart people. There's a lot of people with great track records, a lot of people with great investment theses. But we really, I think, especially maybe today, now more than ever, given where we are in the market and and how large the ecosystem has gotten, you really need that entrepreneurial spirit as a GP. And it's pretty difficult today to build a new firm in this market. So you have to have that conviction in yourself, that belief system in your strategy. And then you kind of take that and you go for it. And like I said, like no firm is at a linear path to growth and success. And there are going to be challenges. So, you know, we're looking for firms that have this ability to think long term, that can roll with the punches, keep learning, you know, have this mindset of like, we're going to keep learning, we're going to keep improving, we're going to keep building and that are humble. And I think the rest often takes care of itself. Again, especially if you've already screened for people that are smart, have good track records, et cetera. Also, I think it's important to lean into community, you know, and mentors and trusted advisors. Certainly it's been important in my career, but I think it's also important for emerging managers. We've been doing this again for a long time and we've seen that support systems matter having a community around your firm matters, like being able to share best practices with others really matters. And then if you think collectively about the ecosystem, emerging managers maybe don't realize it a lot, but they're kind of all in this together. So there is this element of working together to advocate for more awareness of the category and and more capital and trying to unlock that at the highest level. So finding groups of people that are in a similar place with you if you're a GP, I think is important. You'd be surprised how helpful that could be to you.
1: This is valuable advice indeed. What's your most common reason to say no to a VC firm?
0: Well, there's there's two things. When we initially screen if it's a strategy that's not a fit, that's a clear no. Beyond that, if we get into diligence, it tends to be around maybe not having enough conviction in the team and the team cohesion, if it seems like it's a collection of people versus Mm -hmm. a team that tends to be a no. If there's inconsistencies in the strategy and where the team's experience lies, that's generally hard to get comfortable with. Bad references will do it all the time. You know, like that's, that's a clear one for us. And, and that's sometimes surprising because we may think really highly of a team and then we start digging and talk to people in our network and kind of learn that maybe these are not the type of people that we want to be in business with. And so that can lead to an immediate no. So those are probably some of the things that would be high up on the list of reasons we say no.
1: We're coming towards the end of our conversation, and I want to ask you about your community involvement. Is there a nonprofit organization you are passionate about? Which one?
0: Yeah, um, two things that I'm involved in. One is San Francisco Achievers, which is a nonprofit basement in San Francisco, obviously, that provides opportunities for underprivileged kids in the city for scholarships and mentorship through the college experience, which for me, education has been just a really important thing. And that's the reason why my parents immigrated to the U.S., you know, to give me that opportunity. I believe that talent is equally distributed, but opportunity isn't. And I was fortunate enough, even though it wasn't easy to have opportunities to be in the position I'm at. On the other is a foundation called New Breath Foundation that I'm on the board of, where we deal with issues related to immigration and challenges faced by the Asian American community in particular. There's not a lot of nonprofits that focus on Asian Americans and it's kind of underserved in general. So that's another one that I'm passionate about.
1: Akar, you started with how your parents wanted you to be a doctor, like every immigrant uh, parent wants their kid to be a doctor. But I think you've had a stellar career and the impact that you have on so many companies, so many families, so many people's lives is tremendous and it is only going to grow. And I, I hope your parents are very proud and I hope you continue to do the good work in supporting entrepreneurial venture capital managers the way you have done for many years now. Thank you very much for sharing your nuggets of wisdom, sharing your personal experiences, your opinions. It's very rare to find a limited partner who is open-minded to share a lot of thoughts like this. I really appreciate that. I look forward to sharing your nuggets of wisdom with the world. Thanks, Gopi. Thank you for listening to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur. I hope you enjoyed listening to real-life stories about early believers supporting ambitious entrepreneurs. Please subscribe to the podcast and post a review your comments will help other entrepreneurs find this podcast. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.